This is part two of a two-parter. The uh, episode we were recording ran a little bit long, so we divided it up into two chunks. Hope y'all enjoy the episode. The ultimate landlords of the area, that's another kind of important point, I think. In um, most hot zone type scenarios, someone owns the area. The two corporations are lower level shells or subcorps or just independent businesses, but their landlord has decided that this is okay. Progenitus has its own real strong political and social justice biases. And TTI might have some sort of critical experiment that needs to take place. And I don't know where I was going with that thought. I mean, all of these are good cover motivations, but I suspect that the underlying motivation to almost every hot zone is going to boil down to simple money. One corporate or the other wants assets that the other has. They've decided at a very high level that this is the arena that they want to have their struggle in and the people on the ground are consumable, expendable assets that are going to play that out. And it's true. And the megacorps tend to be very hands-off owners and managers. So will it never be over ideological things? Well, well I mean, is, is a corporation it, never going to go after another corporation because they're bad? I mean, no. obviously you'll say that they're bad, but, but honestly, ideologically motivated. I don't think the marketing department would ever approve that message. Well, land is an old struggling point. That's you know, a very basic resource. If an area is valuable simply because of its geology or its position and another company wants that asset, that's, that's a classic struggle. Well, that's not, 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 not quite what I'm asking. Is, is a corporation ever going to go to war with another corporation because people are being oppressed? I mean, I, I guess hop right into cynical and say, you know, well, yes, if they're less, less oppressed, they'd spend more money. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Honestly, I feel like we're kind of led to be very cynical about any conflict in this world. And maybe that's the way it is. But can you imagine a corporation actually going to going to war over ethical or ideological concerns? I may be nitpicking a little bit, but I think war is not really the right term for what for the urban quote-unquote warfare we've been discussing. Into violent conflict. How's that? I think what you're bringing up is really more of the traditional term of war. This is something that does not have a necessarily a Geneva Convention or an overarching agreement of Uh any sort of constraints. And it certainly does not have any sort of contract either over the table or back channel of, okay, we're going to go for this amount of assets, and, and then we'll just call a truce. Uh-huh. Um, you're, you're talking about something where there is an actual difference of opinion that is so strong held that there is no discussion, there is no contract that can be created, actual conflict. But and but I think that certainly exists in the HSD universe, uh-huh. but I don't think that ever falls under the header of, an, of a hotspot. So progenitus will never send in the troops because people aren't getting vaccinated? They might, but... That would not fall under a hotspot. Okay, that, that would be something else. Okay, 
so, so, so basically hot pots, hot spots are fairly cynical conflicts from the perspective of ye, ye old wars. Hot zones are extensions of economics for the most part, okay. which is a very cynical bucket of fish. Yeah. I'm going to say hot zone, hot zone, hot zone, hot zone, hot zone, <laughs> hot zone, hot zone. A couple of times. So I stopped saying hot spots and you have some loops to uh, splice back in if you want to replace hot spot with hot zone. Right. I got to tweet those hot spots. Hot zone. <laughs> Thank you, Ashtar. <laughs> that being said, I don't know what I was going to say. I wanted to say that. <laughs> so, hot spot, hot spot, hot spot, hot spot, hot spot, hot spot. Okay. Yes. I think the intent of a hot zone is very much, once you go far enough up to find the movers and the shakers, the people, the power brokers who are actually making the hot spot, it is absolutely an economic concern. Hot zone. <laughs> once you go far enough up to get the... Um, executives or the level where the hot zones are a contractual matter. This is absolutely a contract and economical concern, and it is handled through established channels and traditions. It, it is not a free-for-all, not at any level. Thinking about it, though, there is a example of a corp versus corp conflict that was, at least in part, ethical, uh-huh. and that is the destruction of genotype, which, I mean, the, the, the core narrative is the mice rose up and overthrew their, their dark masters, but it seems likely that there would have been some sort of conflict in the background that made the board members more vulnerable, that made them be more easily ca- caught flat-footed. The cats were waging war against the rats as well. So there was a lot of times during that particular period where, at least on the surface, or the stated reasons for the conflict might have been slavery an exploited race. That was a few hundred years ago. I'm having a hard time thinking of any other examples. But that was a case where corp versus corp and ethical conflict played out in in a similar field. Okay. Well, you can also check back to the three different race wars that the felines started. One of those was over a jilted romance. I'm not sure that counts. (laughs) But still, you you look at those and you look at the genotype one and all of those potentially could be handled as a hot zone level. But None of those, I don't think, really rose up to the scope of where it would escalate out of control. You always have, for at least all of those, you always have Mother Mars sitting overhead, kind of exerting a final control. The executives within exerting this final... You can have your hostile takeover. You can escalate that into a hot zone and a shooting war, but you are not going to have a no-holds-barred open warfare not on my streets, not on my planet. It's hard to imagine terrorist actions in HSD because there's not really ancient government feuds. There's just profiteering. Uh-huh. So it's kind of the pretense of war has been thrown out and profit is the dominant rule. That seems to just sabotage a lot of standard ethical military warfare issues. One other place where I could imagine a ideological conflict would be Transcendent Technologies trying to stomp out the university cults. I think we'll learn a lot more about that in Sound and Silence as that comes out. The more Lovecraftian elements of TTI have gone to ground in what they call universities. And that may be a place where there's some ground level feuds that are based on some sort of almost occultic uh, feud. Oh, yes. You, you cannot have Lovecraftian horror without some good old 
cult stomping. Yeah. No. And you are not going to make a contract between the cult and the cult hunters. That is not going to be a hot zone. That is simply going to be an open conflict. Right. And we're not going to limit that either. I mean, that is a perfect example. There's going to be a lot more once you start getting away from some of the more core blue sky colonies and the core planets where the megacorps really have a stranglehold you will see less civilized warfare be it with some of the mercenaries or the pirates none of that is going to be hot zone considerate that's going to be actual raids or actual fighting uh once you start getting out to maybe some of the other satellites or fringe colonies um, if things start getting so bad that the resources just do not exist to support that that fighting is not going to be civilized. There is no constraint upon that. That is a fight for survival, and it will be taken as such. Or there's the Judge Dread movie that you like so much, Wines, mm-hmm. where... You think of the newer one, Dread? Yeah, yeah, where like an arcology-style building gets taken over by its, its citizens, its inhabitants, and becomes its own island that the outside forces have to invade. Mm-hmm. It's not quite a corporation structure, but it's it has it elements of the same thing. So, so I'm kind of hearing that around a, a hot zone, for people not involved in the direct conflict, there might be people being heroic. But as far as people who are involved in it on one side or the other, there are no heroes. There's just people who are getting promotions. I think that depends entirely on how you want to spin it. I mean, if you want to have a last-ditch battle against an oncoming corporation, a town can be a corporation uh a large block of flats could be a corporation. Mm-hmm. Corporations are kind of tied to the concept of neighborhoods and communities in ways that don't really exist on Earth 2000s. Uh-huh. Um, they're the fundamental organization of HSD world. So corporations going against corporations, it could be a very, very strong scenario uh, emotionally. One thing I want to look at later on is the idea of uh, like an Ivy League university fighting against a land grab. I think another misrepresentation that we may have introduced with the uh, coffee versus donut scenario, we're not necessarily talking about a hot zone that the loser is no longer a corporation or is disbanded. Um, We could be talking about large corporations that control entire city blocks that are just fighting over the corner bodega. Whoever has that prize corner is what the hot zone is being fought over. So not everybody in the corporation might be involved or they might be pulling people from a much larger section of a corp town into a small group that is willing to go forward and fight to take over that corner. Fighting over a series of patents or inventions that are like closely related, that'd be a really ugly feud if both developers thought they had the full rights to it. If we're looking at a hot zone scenario, one quirk of that that's very different from any 20th century warfare is that hot zones tend to have a specified length. Rather like certain Warhammer 40k scenarios, you know how long you can do to wait something out. Because if you can extend it past its deadline, then everybody can start racking up new fees. There's an actual scheduled end for the conflict. And that Mm -hmm. is very different from any Earth-based scenario. And just wait till you see the celebrities they have lined up for the halftime show. One neat concept I got from the uh, Street Smart Intelligence Preparations for the Battlefield of Urban Operations book, which is a manual for people that are analyzing real lives on the line warfare scenarios, not for game masters, is the concept of a layered map of the terrain. And this can, again, as a reminder, the social terrain is as relevant as the physical terrain. So imagine that you have your cityscape or your 10 by 10 block area stretched out in front of you. 
and metaphorically, you could put this over, overlay on it that shows, well, just as starters, the economic terrain. Uh, where are the rich areas? Where is the, the uh, shantytown slum? Where that becomes relevant to the PCs is if an enemy goes to ground in a shantytown, they can go anywhere because the roads are broken down. There's plenty of places to hide. The terrain can be reorganized in a heartbeat. Whereas if they go to uh, ground in a prosperous shopping district, the threat to hostage and uh, expensive infrastructure is much higher, huh. as, as well as the, uh, the witness and body count is more terrifying. So this book had all these different ideas for layers of math that you could lay over something. I think they may have actually had software that would help you with this concept. But I think it's good to use this as kind of a 20 questions of ways to explore the conflict, to add kind of depth to your story and surprising encounters for your PCs, particularly if you're building up this as like a multi-game scenario to add a lot of, a lot of uh, fun and excitement sub-chapters to your, to your combat arc. Mm-hmm. Some ideas they had for their maps was the concept of untouchable terrain, which is areas like the mosque, the monuments, the veil, places where if there was any conflict at all, it would be uh, very expensive for all parties involved. Mm-hmm. They recommended putting stars next to media strongholds, which, again, I love the idea of playing out these scenarios in a pulse town where you have celebrities on the battlefield intentionally. And just to touch base back on that first point again, that's not necessarily just culturally relevant or socially relevant. At this point, you may have two different corps that are going at it, but the landowner, the, the parent corp, is probably going to dictate certain things that this is my building and you are not going to touch it. This is my infrastructure and these are my people in this block and you are not going to touch it. These are literally untouchable or the full force of the landlord will now come down on your head. Yeah, don't mess with the research facilities or the uh, buy spots. In particular, don't mess with the buy spots. <laughs> Knowing- or, or actually, that's reminding me of the, the movie, the animated movie Red Line where they're doing their no-holds-barred no car race and decide to do it through the a- ammo dump on Robot World where all sorts of technology is, is hidden. And now there's people racing through with cameras following them to the great distress of the military of Robot World. <laughs> um, the transportation grid is another useful overlay, which can go over, under, around, through. Major resource sites, such as the manufacturing facilities, water, wastewater lines, and things like that. One interesting thing um, Street Smart pointed out is that an area that's a heavy manufacturing facility, like a Marsco town, or an area with a whole lot of like information storage places, in those areas where they're thematically built around fact sites, targeting a manufacturing plant for destruction is not quite as big a deal as if that was the only fact in town, because targeting the only manufacturing facility in a town would be crippling to the local infrastructure, whereas it's just another thing for like a Marsco unit. Scarcity makes targets much more important um, in the local playing field. Of course, the wastewater line is always a, a good one to target if you want to cause a lot of devastation. Yeah. Uh, knowing where the local dangerous points are, the TTI labs, toxic waste disposal areas, etc., <laughs> They pointed out the importance of knowing where dead airspace is. This is places where a ship can legitimately approach from above. Um, really useful for tactics. May not be so useful for PCs except for like initial deployment phase. Mm-hmm. Also depends on what kind of resources the PCs have. 
if the PCs are very well-equipped off-worlders, they're coming in as support, then how they can get in and out and how they can pull in and out supplies or how they can use other access drones to move around makes that much more of a important thing to be aware of. Uh, having a sense for the 3D terrain of your area, places where there are very tall skyscrapers that can be used usefully by snipers, or places where overhead uh, passageways become obstacles, also good to know. Um, and just as important as knowing the train is being very aware that the train can change in an instant. You can build a car in seconds. You can put a wall up in seconds. You can put in a sniper nest or block off a corridor or blow a hole in a wall and create a passage to a different building in seconds. The manufacturing capability is miniaturized to such a point that you simply cannot trust your maps beyond more or less what you can sense. How much does it cost to 3D print smoke? Uh, yeah, that, that doesn't deserve a response. I'm sorry, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> Another map point that was kind of interesting to me was the idea of where are the mass assembly places? Where are, well, there are no churches in HSD necessarily. We can't plan around those, but uh, community centers. Don't the WWF stadiums count? Yes, they would. Uh, Pulse arenas. <laughs> right, Pulse arenas. But places where a lot of people can gather or would choose to gather. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot of reasons these might be tactically interesting. In a horror scenario, these are places where people are going to gather and then the roof is going to collapse. These are places where the people are going to congregate and it becomes untouchable terrain where you do not want to have military actions. From a, um, a more heroic standpoint, these are places where you can rally the troops or where the opposition is going to be able to rally the troops, uh, places to get a following to gather together large crowds to take unified action against an opponent. So I think as social terrain, they're really fascinating. Mm -hmm. Places where you can compete through impromptu dance-offs. Absolutely. Again, the idea of an economic map is useful. A manufacturing grid is also particularly useful in HSD. It shows where um, like major fact points are. If in your world or this world, uh, buy spots are a limited commodity, that's worth knowing because that does affect um, where people can recharge, <laughs> where they can get new ammo, etc. And then also where the supply areas for these things are, where the uh, fact plant goo number 14 is kept in great vats. Uh, being able to break down the manufacturing infrastructure of an HSD town would be pretty terrifying because everybody relies on those pie spots for their food, for their entertainment, for their shiny new dresses, and so on. That's kind of an argument for diversity in the city, because if you're a company and you completely own the city, then anything someone does to mess up the city hurts you, hurts your bottom line. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're sharing a city with other people and if someone sabotages the power plant or the water supply, that doesn't just affect you. That also picks a fight with several other people who are using it. It's harder to precisely go after you if, if you're mixed in there with, with a diverse crowd. I believe the term you're looking for is diversify your assets to minimize risk. There you go, that. <laughs> I don't know if there's ever any discussion of the um, multiple ownership of an area. I don't feel like there is. HSD has always had a very hierarchical structure, at least to my mind. One beast at the top is, is drawing up all of the assets ultimately. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't 
I, th- I thought the 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 single corp town was an unusual thing. No, the single corp nation is an unusual thing. That's an area oh, okay. the size of okay. Australia or bigger. Yeah. But um, I think the assumption is that most corp towns ultimately have a single owner. But the further you go down, the more smaller subdivisions, the more outside agencies there are. I mean, in any large town, there's going to be representatives from Pulse, from Donut Beast, uh-huh. from big and small corporations. But they all pay their dues to a single landlord at the end of the day. And that's likely to be a mid-sized corporation at least. Okay. But, but that still means it's, it's somewhat diverse if you have different people. I mean, even, even if somebody's a landlord, if, if you have a variety of people in the town working together. Yeah, it's not usually a monoculture. That would be an okay. exceptional thing. Okay, okay. Let's see other kind of map overlay concepts. Uh, a faction map that shows kind of what corporations rule, what areas, uh, what major groups and philosophies are represented, or if there's a single species ghetto type thing that might be worth knowing in terms of how you interact with the local crowds there. And, you know, some gold stars to represent where the local social movers and influencers are, uh, where the economic powerhouse people are. Um, so you have a sense for like the major personalities. And these are all kind of just map concepts that really bring in the idea of social terrain and create a clear grid of obstacles for your PCs to face off with. And based off the source material, very much of what we're discussing are land-based hot zones. It it changes, and there are quite a few more things that can be introduced if we're starting to talk about a habitat, a blue sky. A wet zone. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to stick to some of the space-based. At that point, the spaceport suddenly becomes vastly more important. If you can control the spaceports, you can isolate pretty much large sections of the city. So you're looking at like sealed bubble cities in in space, just to clarify? Sealed bubble cities, biodomes, blue sky stations, maybe some of the smaller stations, but those may start getting a little too close to the edge. Yeah, it's hard. It's not really urban warfare if you're in an area that's the size of a large ranch-style house. We're not talking about our space station. (laughs) (laughs) And even then, large would be generous. (laughs) What what I'm talking about, though, is how some of that topographical hotspots really just changes. Your hot zone, these are all still very relevant, but now life support. So the oxygen, the oxygen scrubbers, he who controls the oxygen really holds a stranglehold on the local area. Mm-hmm. Even if they're not damaging or threatening, just by owning that, you, you kind of put a damper on the entire fight. Some of the other important parts are when you're talking about some of the mid-sized areas, especially like Blue Sky Stations, if you can spark a decompression alarm. I'm not actually suggesting putting a hole in your space station, but if you can initiate that decompression alarm, that usually comes with very large blast doors. That means your entire fight, your entire hot zone is going to be compartmentalized and cut off from any outside help Mm. for a significant amount of time. Yeah. Or like in... um CJ Cherry's uh, down below station. Take two drinks. Yes. <laughs> at, at one point during a conflict, the people controlling the station were directed to that they have big tanks of water that they shift around to correct vibrations or imbalances in the station's rotation. They were told to put the station out of balance to give the thing kind of a wobble <laughs> because people who live on the station know when that's happening, stay indoors, 
get out of the way. And they, they knew if we, if we do this, that's going to get people off the streets, get people off the public corridors. Huh. Likewise, if you start messing with, even if you have artificial gravity, start playing with that. And that's going to seriously make people think, do we really want to be in the way? Or do I want to be in a nice, safe area? That's all I got. Okay. I'm done here. I just want to say in, in, in the follow-up of your notion of the wet zones, I was just saying, nobody wants to get stuck in the wet zone. <laughs> <laughs> and, and also, to, to rewind, um, uh, the, the value of, of spaceports uh, or docks, even if a ship can land anywhere or hover anywhere, like if you're a cargo ship, I mean, yes, you could hover over a public park, but can you efficiently unload mass amounts of cargo without loaders or likewise if a ship a ship could probably pull up to emergency access hatch anywhere on the station in many different places but can you offload fuel can you get crates of food through an airlock you know not really efficiently uh places where you can actually meaningfully dock would be very important also where can you refuel if you can't refuel then that restricts your your operations a lot it also makes the Corvette-style uh, spaceship that most PCs are going to find themselves owning uh, a lot more useful because they're getting more maneuverable in tight areas. True, true. The social terrain map in particular, I think, is useful to bear in mind because, at least rules as written, HSD is not a game about combat. It's a game about culture in many ways. So knowing the non-combat layout of the map is really useful for if your PCs are invested in their social stats, their economic stats, their community stats. I think it's really important not to let go of those because otherwise you do kind of tend towards the murder-hoboism route. Mm -hmm. Well, it also helps to give the PCs a mission or some sort of goal if they just get dropped into a hot zone with no further instructions then blasting your way out eh, makes a certain amount of sense. Why not? Um, but if you're intentionally sending them there on a mission by one of the people who has stake in that particular hot zone and therefore has to follow the rules of engagement, suddenly this becomes much more of a tricky situation for the PCs. They do have rules of engagement. They do have a goal, and this becomes a challenge. And if someone on the other side is just waiting with a satellite phone, to speed dial IRPF if you step over the the rules of the, of the fight just a little bit. Yeah. I think it's a good segue to the uh, idea of victory conditions and what those are in a uh, urban combat situation. It's not just killing the other people. That's important to point out. Um, you kill the other people and you live. That's that. If everybody dies, that's not a win condition. <laughs> right. No, and more people living is, I think, in the spirit of the game. <laughs> But given this is an economic battle as much as anything else, uh, taking over assets is really useful. Eliminating, not necessarily killing personnel. They can be imprisoned in standard hot zone rules, also important. Destruction of surplus equipment is a legitimate use of the hot zone rules. Seb was talking about that in our interview. So knowing what you are encouraged to destroy is kind of uh, liberating, in fact. They don't want that building in particular. That building's going to go foom in an awesome explosion, I hope, that's on camera. Moral victories become important, too, particularly if you're on the losing side of a hot zone. If a company is crippled, destroyed, or really traumatized by a hot zone, but the local population sees uh, one side or the other as a victor, that's 
change the tone of the hot zones corporate results in, a, I think, a meaningful way. Mm -hmm. If you are heroic, make sure it's on camera. Absolutely. And that that's one of the reasons I think uh, Hot Zone in the Pulse Town is going to be particularly fun because you're going to be on replay a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, trashing an opponent's reputation, very useful. Trash their relationship with either IRPF or their landlords, also helpful. Uh, that'll have repercussions a long time after the Hot Zone. Capital equipment like the manufacturing plants, experimental labs, really good targets, uh, and concealing a shadow operation so that the real victory is having gotten the dossier from the CEO's office. Another victory that uh, might not make the news so much. Steal those donut recipes. Are you trying to hover or pause or? Okay. And while we're on victory conditions, kind of related. Um, let's flip this over to some of the victory conditions of the actual combat within HSD. The victory condition of most combat within HSD is not designed to be you kill all your foes. The nerf pool and the break conditions are really designed for non-lethal combat, for shooting enough to get the other side to simply surrender. And a lot of this breaks down when you start moving into active power armor and very high-tech, high-defensive stuff. The nerf pool just simply doesn't matter anymore. I hope that mechanic evolves a little bit. It's not quite worky for me. But this is the perfect example of where it can become worky. You now have rules of engagement. You now have deep urban area that says, hey, no active power armor. True. And just because you can knock down a building in your power armor, that's a pretty good reason where we're going to say you don't get to bring that in. <laughs> we don't want anything more lethal than maybe a pistol or a shotgun. And we don't want you wearing anything more threatening than a bulletproof vest or like a Marsco hard suit. Because we don't want you to go in and actually look like an invading force or to be terrorizing civilians or simply be too tough of a nut to crack that the other side feels required to bring out heavy weaponry. Yeah, and there's a significant nerf pool hit for destroying light cover as well. Or they were in the original rules. I'm not sure they changed that or not. But they're still there in my heart. So if you uh, blow away all of the um, tables and chairs the employees are fighting against or hiding behind, then uh, that's going to rattle them. Yeah. Uh, whether you're hopefully not using the original rules as written, but using the errata within the first edition, or taking a look at whoever's coming in this, the upcoming edition, whether you have the rules for the nerf pool or not, the concept of a non-lethal fight, the concept of you can you can use lethal force, but not kill your opponents and just push for a surrender, push for a victory that does not involve body counts, mm -hmm. still exists. And when you're really working within the hot zones, the ones that are not horribly escalated, this is the perfect time for those rule sets to shine and for those rules of engagement to be enforced and to become kind of an overlying strategy to the tactical fight that's going on. And it's good to see your mur murder hobos frustrated every now and then. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. One mini victory in a storyline is the hearts and minds victory. Moving this if your combat scenario is kind of like a skill challenge that extends over several days of campaign time, this is a place where an early moral victory can lead to much stronger victories down the road because if you have the cooperation of the populace, if something significant like the communication grid breaks down, then you'll still have couriers and runners at your service. Uh, you'll still be able to do the intelligence work that would normally require technology the vectors themselves can act in that instead for you. So an early 
scenario victory showstopper moment that connects you to the population is very valuable down the road, has a, a lot of return on investment. And that can come very, very early in the hot zone cycle. The first battlefield that you're going to really start hitting on is who attacked first. If you can control the narrative and come across as, well, you were just defending yourself and they started the violence, you've won the first moral victory. Which puts the aggressive and more powerful company at a, at a substantial disadvantage in some ways. Except they have more money. <laughs> I want to move on to the idea of deception in urban conflict because that's important to a degree that you might not get just uh, fighting in the wilds or on the open deserts. The deception is how like David can destroy Goliath. It's um, a way for a weaker group to win an asymmetric battle. This is um, guerrilla warfare attacking the shadows, but also it's uh, mis misrepresenting your own force to seem like you're a lot more powerful than you might be. Distracting opponents from valuable resources and directing them towards things that they would really have rather not destroyed down the road. Mm. Or a lot less powerful. There is a definite value in that as well. Mm. Yeah, because the, the most powerful gun that you can have, if it's in a position where it can't shoot at anything relevant, it's useless. I mean, good artillery without a spotter is not useful, unless you just want to devastate an entire region. The idea of uh, kind of desensitizing a, an opponent to a certain action, like in MASH or Vietnam War scenarios, the regular hail of bullets that comes every day at 3 o'clock and 5 o'clock kind of wears people away of the idea that there's any safety um, mm -hmm. <laughs> or that the enemy is only active during these periods of time. So this kind of don't cry wolf effect goes into place when your opponent starts expecting a certain stimulus, starts expecting you to behave in a certain way. That creates a pattern that you can break to your own advantage later on. Getting, getting your opponents together at a certain time or place, like like a, a faint sort of operation where they're, they're drawn to this because they expect you to have an ambush there and you're actually behind the other storefront mm -hmm. or something, really forcing them to spend their efforts and uh, resources far away from you, uh, particularly if you're playing like a shadow war game, is a, a, a strong tactic. What if you threw a hot zone and nobody showed up? <laughs> promoting your own strengths and possibly false weaknesses through propaganda, um, tried and true. Overloading the enemy's intelligence apparatus is one that uh, Street Smart recommends. Give them too much to deal with uh, so that you can bury your own actions under false positives, under false reports, uh, just too much static for them to really process things in a timely and efficient manner. Mm -hmm. Like that newest Star Wars movie, Rogue One, good example of that in the, the end sequence. I, Spoilers. I've forgotten it. <laughs> no, go ahead. Well, I can't just assume people have seen that. <laughs> I can't remember it. I was I was engaged in popcorn. Well, I it, have it, not it, actually seen it, but I don't care. Go okay, ahead. Okay, well, we'll be in, <laughs> in it, the, the main characters are after a MacGuffin, but their friends, their allies, the special ops people, just kind of go all over the place, making it seem as if they're being attacked from all directions and also sending out false reports saying we're at this location, we're being attacked when there is no attack there, but they've, they're, they're using the Imperial communications. So 
it makes it very hard for the overwhelming force to respond usefully. Disguising yourself as the enemy is a really good PC gambit. Ninjas. Ninjas, yeah, or the Wicked Witch's henchmen. Take your pick. Mm-hmm. Everybody dressed like foxes. We're, we're going in. <laughs> no, I deserve that. Yeah, you do. <laughs> In the idea of deception, the timetable idea becomes really important, too, because you can create a victory condition by simply waiting out the hot zone. And so stalling, delaying, uh, distracting becomes really useful. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, engaging in a full-on complex deception might give you problems because of the, the, the like three-day timetable. You may not have time to prepare yourself in that, in that manner. Uh, deception takes time. Planting traps takes time. These mm-hmm. are all things that you cannot do on a three-day timetable necessarily. Yeah. And they take resources, resources that could be out there either on the attack or on the defense. True. And on the subject of deception and misdirection, let's not forget that you do have celebrities out there stalking hotspots. Maybe local celebrities, much maybe much larger celebrities. Barbara Walters is going to be interfering with your deployment. Or she might be embedded and asking you what you're doing out here when you really would prefer that not to be <laughs> broadcast to the world. <laughs> yep, yep. In a heavily surveilled society like Vector society is that was a really weak sentence it's going to be hard to hard to keep your operations entirely secret mm-hmm. without blowing up the cameras a couple of like great montages in history i wanted to just touch on on the subject of deception and um completely ridiculous over the top dance montage no 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 song this, montage well this is like <clears throat> no 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 god no please don't please don't um no this is uh this is the the working together to build the final product montage. So in um, 1942, this is my, my favorite example of, of this, uh, because I think it plays really well into the hot zone concept. Uh, in 1942, the German military was bombing in California. Specifically, they were going to be attacking or intended to attack the Lock- Lockheed Airplane Factory, which is in um, Burbank, California which is a Hollywood-type zone. We've got a lot of stagehands, actors, actresses, technicians, set design, prop design people. So to protect Lockheed, the community of stagehands got together and created a facade of a suburban neighborhood, huge canopies over the the airplane plant to make it look like a a peaceful suburban residential area. (laughs) This is the real danger of attacking California. And one thing I think this calls to in particular is that when you're dealing with a hot zone, you're likely dealing with expertise in a field. If you attack Starbucks, these are people that know caffeine and have uh, 48-hour waking cycles. If you attack information facilities, uh, large libraries, that sort of thing, they're going to have rich pools of knowledge to draw from and may have dirt on you that you wouldn't expect. So I think this this scenario shows the fun and excitement that can be had by going against someone in their own zone of comfort. Mm-hmm. And I just love the idea of the stagehands getting together to throw up this, this apparatus over, <laughs> over a, war, a wartime strike site. Similarly, in World War I, a dummy Paris was created a couple of miles away from the original. Some lighting engineers got together to figure out what the minimum and most effective use of colored lights was to simulate a city at night. 
as a way of drawing uh, German bombers away or foreign bombers away from the target. It was never finished because luckily, I guess, luckily, I don't know, unluckily, sadly, World War I ended before the uh, construction was completed on this project, but hmm. it's still, still kind of neat. I just thought those were really cool. Yeah, that's interesting. A lot of this has been kind of a little dark, a little more dystopian than, than I would like, but I think it's important to look at these things as opportunities for all kinds of stories, and they don't necessarily have to be serious ones. I think the layers of corporation can lend themselves to certain types of uh, conflict. So if you're dealing with a, a small-level um, kind of Gangs of Ireland sort of scenario, you could be dealing with rival brewers facing off with each other and flooding the streets with riding drunks. And it's not necessarily the Starbucks versus Donut Beast level thing. This is something that an allied business might do to help their cause. Mm-hmm. Um, anybody could be bringing in assets to benefit the local well-loved landlord type character. So, yeah, the rival bre- the, a brewer opens their cast to the public to flood the area with uh, cheerful drunks as a way of slowing down and stalling to bring about the uh, end of the conflict sooner. Uh, I also really like the idea of like a department store <laughs> filled with employees that are hiding behind uh, hollow displays and mannequins uh, and the amount of weird challenges that could throw in, in the enemy's face. So I think there, there is a modern story. There's a game that came out recently called Tokyo 42, I think. And recently, the developer of a game from 1980 called Tokyo 41, which he showed some screenshots of, is very, very similar game except... 8-bit graphics, um, and he said, you know, well, I th- this new game is wonderful, but I wish they would acknowledge me in their work. And so a little, little bit of coverage over that until people gradually started thinking about that and thinking, does anyone remember this from the 80s? And they <laughs> gradually realized, no, it never existed. This is just a marketing thing. <laughs> a very clever one, and a fair number of people on the internet did kind of jump on, just they got the joke and they're playing along. It's like, yeah, that was a great game. Man. This guy deserves some kudos for ripping off his design. So my other montage moment in HSD was um, the idea of an ancient kind of liberal arts college being put against a land-hungry manufacturer group, mm-hmm. a very Scooby-Doo sort of scenario. Also, I, I just like academic settings and things like that. Sure. You might notice that later on, I think. Mm-hmm. The hot zone is about halfway over before combat actually begins. The oncoming corporation stocks have taken a hit because every single economic commentator and professor is spelling doom for them as the uh, the economics department springs into pre-action to launch its own offensive. The armed conflict scenarios are heavily filmed by the local journalist group and the arts and entertainment technology group. There are no real soldier types on the ground. They've given the armed force roles to their theater arts and dance department. Mm -hmm. And every bullet or even blank that's thrown by the oncoming corporate force is met with the most elaborate and tragic death scenes that can be imagined. Pale, willowy dancers are lying in various overstated poses in the street. So the social warfare angle goes completely to the the losing party in that one. Sort of like the end of Yellowbeard. Yeah, yeah, I'll have to find that clip. The, uh, the, the the alumni then step in to do a lot of the final financial damage. And at the end of the scenario, the coffers of the university are much deeper. <laughs> okay. 
I, I, I like the image of, of completely breaking the rules in terms of how you fight these things mm-hmm. and letting the social victory win the day. And I don't think that's a realistic plot, but it'd be a fun comedy movie version. <laughs> but kind of the, the bottom line of that is to say that Hot Zones and conflict should serve your story, which I think is how we began this entire discussion. Mm-hmm. If the scenario is a little bit crazy, if it doesn't make sense necessarily, or if it seems a little contrived, the characters are the main things on the stage, not not the background, not the window dressing. So whatever makes them look good or makes them fail entertainingly is much more important than uh, the reality you're trying to present. There comes a time in each man's life when he can't even believe his own eyes. Well, after your description, I don't think I'd want to see it either. I think that more or less wraps up our topic for the day, so I'd like to turn this one over to the hosts and ask our table what's been awesome this week. Uh, I will lead myself with an interesting little article from Ars Technica. I, I don't understand this one, but the article was about an Indian research group that is using lasers to weld spider silk to Kevlar or metal or glass or whatever. They've retuned a laser somehow to not incinerate spider silk, but divide it into neat little distinct bits, reshape its proteins and such to where it forms bulges and knots, and melt it and reshape it. They, like, hung a tiny little mirror in space surrounded by with just strands of spider silk. And they're hoping to use this technology to craft items made out of fur and hair and, like, exoskeletons. And I think this is fascinating, but I have no idea why they're doing any of this. So it's really more about pure research, I suspect. <laughs> this may win an ignoble prize down the road or create some fantastic product that I'm not, would never predict. <laughs> but it's a fun article in its sort of trivial sense of the word fun. I'd be willing to bet they're trying to make a better body armor. But hey, side effects. Great for everybody. I was imagining Kevlar armor covered with wiggling spider legs because all the spiders have been molded to it. <laughs> That's not quite where he, he went with it. Oh, no. <laughs> That's horrible. Yeah. This is a little bit past a week, but since we're on the topic of mall security guards and other such, oh, security for hire, we, we did have the story of the DC robotic security guard that had a bit of a troubled past, but decided to suicide himself into a fountain and end it all. Life is cruel. Poor thing. Bloop, bloop. That was a beautiful story. That one seriously <laughs> memed, didn't it? It did. Corbo, I was just discussing this with you earlier, is this very antisocial group celebrating someone what most people would think of as a very bad person with by doing rallies and marches in in the hometown, and that the locals have turned it around by finding causes that oppose those being very vague. <laughs> just, just say Hitler. <laughs> okay, but neo-Nazi groups marching in a town where some Nazi hero died or some Nazi hero was born, and their response to this is to turn it into a, what, what do you call it when you... Pledge fundraiser sort uh, of thing. A, like a pledge fundraiser. So that every mile the uh, the neo-Nazis march, they raise money for causes that oppose the neo-Nazis. <laughs> and so now as the neo-Nazis march along the street, there's people 
cheering them on because they're raising so much money to oppose them and they've been doing doing this for some time and that is just absolutely beautiful i like that reverse psychology is is gorgeous that, that reminds me for no clear reason oh you neo-nazis there's the ridiculous alt fur movement which is just insanity spur, right. spurred on by the dynamic political weirdness and horror that is america today uh-huh. fur patch has put a lot of information on them uh-huh. and lately has had success in shutting down some alt for discord channels and things like that by directly connecting them to the fascist neo-Nazi groups that are active today right. because there's so much overlap. So the over the top and horrifying behavior of the alt-right white supremacist group is getting furry griefers shut down. I'm all for it. I am too. Yeah. I think that's all we have time for though. So, um, Thank you so much for being with us for the first year or so of Radio Free Demos, for contributing to our glorious sub-sub-compact space station that we'll be having in the next couple of months. And uh, catchy outro line. Intro music is Future Club and outro music is Tronicles, both by Sirius Beat. This podcast is copyright 2017 by Radio Free Demos and may be used in any not-for-profit project with appropriate credit and notification. Check out our website, RadioFreeDemos.com, that's D-E-I-M-O-S, for more rambling, resources, links to official and fan-driven content, and our full catalog of episodes. And look for us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Well, I'll go on to what's awesome then and wrap up. Nothing. Just because... Life is pain. Elon Musk did not say anything (laughs) in his Tumblr...